Sweet as Honey, the podcast. Hello, honeybees. Welcome to another episode of the Sweetest Honey podcast. Today will be a solo host episode and I have a guest that I will interview today and I am so excited. I think that you are really going to enjoy the subject matter today. It'll be a little interesting. It'll be a little queer. It'll be insightful. We're all going to learn things together. I don't know a lot about the topic, but our guest is like the expert. So I'm super excited about that. So please join me in welcoming our guest today, Emma. Emma, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Just enjoying the nice weather, trying to recover from the holidays. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good. How are your holidays? How's your year been so far? Oh, it's... It's been an interesting year, um, kind of having some family health issues that kind of affected the holidays a little bit, but, um, you know, just trying to roll with it, let it go, come off my back. And um, so it's been an interesting year, but a pretty good one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. We'll, We'll take that. I'm sorry to hear about the family health thing. I know that that is something that is plaguing so many people right now. And I know, you know, because you and I know each other that this particular family member is somebody that you hold so near and dear. So I do hope that all is well on that front. Um, So Emma, today we are going to talk about you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How do you identify? What are your pronouns and your affiliation that we'll be talking about today? Okay, so uh, my name is Emma, and my pronouns are she, her, and um, I guess, I, I think I label stack a little bit. Okay. Um, I identify as three different things, but in a order of preference, so I identify as gay or queer or lesbian, and my order of preference is, as I just stated, mm-hmm. um, for me, just because when you say gay, everybody knows what that means. Yes. From from a 90-year-old little old lady to, you know, a, someone in middle school. Everybody knows what that means. So it's just quick, one syllable rolls off the tongue, and then my preferences kind of flow from there. I love that. And recently, you have made a major change in your life where spirituality is concerned. What was your faith practice before, and what is your faith practice now? Well, I was raised in a very religious household, um, Southern Baptist to be particular. So um, to all you Southern listeners, probably pretty familiar with that in some way. Um, and my dad actually for the majority of my like growing up years uh, was a minister. So that, um, that put a lot of pressure on me emotionally and spiritually um, my parents raised me the best that they could, you know, they taught me what they knew to be true about loving God and loving other people. So that certainly gave me a foundation for, um, for where I'm at right now. And I've made peace with the negativity that came with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so going beyond going through that, I, when I was in my early to mid twenties, I joined a, um, particular Christian denomination that I won't really get into, but, um, at the time I felt supported and loved, but as I got kind of further along, I felt, I experienced some of the worst homophobia in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and, it, and it wasn't even, okay, well, I go to church with one particular person who acts like that or two or three, 
you know, I mean, you're going to get that everywhere, but it was, it was systemic homophobia. And I, I don't know why this particular denomination, they, to them, homopho- like being gay or queer or whatever to them is like the worst possible sin. Like you straight up will go to hell for doing that. And mm-hmm. um, one day I just had enough. And I mean, I literally walked out of church because I just had enough. And uh, so those are really the two um, key points of my faith practices before I got to where I am now. Mm-hmm. And where are we now? Okay. So I think it's interesting that we picked today to talk because uh, is it yesterday... the year anniversary? Yes, it is the year anniversary. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, it was yesterday. So, but so coming in on a year, um, a year ago, I was baptized into the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which most people know to be Mormons or LDS, although um, our church leadership, like kind of at the higher level, is encouraging us to be, to say say the full name of the church when we talk about being members. Hmm. Um, they're trying to lean away from saying, from us saying, you know, I'm LDS or I'm Mormon, but personally, I prefer speaking about myself that way, calling myself LDS or Mormon simply because it's people are more likely to understand what you mean. Right. When you say it the longer way, you generally have to clarify, especially in this part of the, I live in the South, especially this part of the country, because mm-hmm. there's not a huge population right. here. So. Gotcha. Okay. So, okay. Currently, uh, my favorite housewives franchise uh, opportunity right now is based in Salt Lake City. So they do reference to Mormonism a lot. And just overall, like, it's really, really interesting. Like, it's kind of like off base, but like, I'm excited. I think that a new episode comes out tonight. Um, so I am not super familiar with Mormonism in a practice capacity. So basically I've done like some surface level research about Mormonism and it's proven difficult, kind of like you said, to separate some of the terminology. Um, So I've heard Mormon, I've heard LDS, I've heard, you know, Church of Latter-day Saints um, and things like that. And my understanding of Mormonism, just from that very surface level, kind of scratching the surface, Um, to be a Christian theology and theology meaning religious practice and Christian for this context, just being simplified to mean living in the Western concept of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, gave his son as the ultimate sacrifice, etc. I understand that Mormons belong to the Latter-day Saints or LDS church, like you just said, and some preconceived notions that I've had about Mormonism have to do with personal exposure. Like I've had a couple of people like come by and, you know, like knock on my door when I was in my very early twenties to say, you know, we'd like to talk to you about, you know, the Mormon church, you know, we'd like to talk to you about the LDS church. And, you know, like on this particular day, I was feeling pretty social. So I was like, sure, come on inside. It's hot outside. It's cool in here. Let me get you a bottle of water. Talk to me about what you got going on. Um, So that was like one example that I had. They were very young. I was very young. And at the time I was just kind of like, okay, well, I was questioning faith a lot at that point in time too. And had a lot of questions that these just, they were just young, you know, they wouldn't have had, I didn't have the answers. They wouldn't have had the answers. They all are (laughs) missionaries are extremely young. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, some of the ones that I worked with were literally 18. Oh my God. Yeah. And I'm like, like oh, you precious baby. It's not like a mama hen. 
they were very young and like for media like plural marriage like polygyny and the difference between polygyny polyamory polygyny is where a man has many wives so like cody from sister wives um uh so like sister wives big love are kind of the pop culture references that I have for Mormonism and hearing about bigamy like I will fall down like a rabbit hole in a minute so like bigamy is just what happens when a person is legally married to another person and tries to marry somebody else that's all that that is so that's kind of the basis of my knowledge of this particular faith and faith practice. So am I on base? I feel like we're all going to learn a lot on this episode. So please feel free to correct, to clarify whatever feels good, whatever I might've misspoken about. I would love for, educate me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Um, So one thing that I do want to clarify, I agree with you that, um, Mormonism falls under the category of Christian theology in the general Western uh, Judeo-Christian concept of God and the very basic tenets of faith. But I do want to um, highlight a couple of key points where we are different from other Christian denominations, um, particularly uh, what we believe about pre-mortal life. Um, We believe that we existed as spirits in heaven and lived in the presence of God. Mm -hmm. And that before we came to earth, we decided along with God to come to earth and gain physical bodies. And um, so that's, so there's, so there's a very defined pre-mortal life and it's specifically how, um, how we came to be that, uh, to my knowledge, most other Christian denominations don't clarify it that much. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, uh, about the afterlife, our view of the afterlife is very different. So, um, when we die, uh, depending on whether you're a member of the church or not, you either go to spirit paradise or you go to spirit prison and, and, and I, oh yeah. I, I I don't like it when that word is used because it it it, it hits something scary or negative, but it's almost like just a waiting room for people who aren't in the church. Hmm. And uh, we believe that um, people who are not who when they die are not members of the church can have um, what we call simple work done on their behalf, and they can after their death choose to accept. Um, being a member of the church, uh, but you know we can do the work for them. But ultimately, it's their choice. Okay. And uh, after um, the second coming of Christ, those who have uh, made it, who have made it all the way along the covenant path, and there are several steps on there, uh, will be exalted and will return to live in the presence of God. So, one way that we differ differ from other Christian schools of thought is that we don't automatically die and go to heaven, that there are some steps that come in between those two occurrences. Okay. What can you say a little bit more about those steps and what those steps would look like? Okay. So um, we refer to this as the covenant path and um, it starts with um, faith. So having faith in uh, God and the son and the Holy ghost, the, those basic tenets of faith, that you highlighted when you were mentioning what you know about Mm -hmm. Mormonism. And then there's repentance where you 
repent of your sins that you've committed and um, sort of, and not in a, a, you do that with the understanding. It's done with the understanding that you're going to continue to sin because we are in, we are human and more fallible, but um, so just uh, repentance for your sins and a commitment to continue to repent as you um, have struggles throughout your lifetime. And then uh, baptism uh, by someone in the Melchizedek priesthood who has the authority to baptize. And after that, um, there, and this is actually coming up for me in a couple of weeks, um, there's something called endowment. And um, there's a lot to say about that that I can't really discuss. It's, it's not secret, but it's sacred. Okay. You learn more about the fall and of, of Adam and Eve and the creation. And mm-hmm. you learn more about what has to be done to return to the presence of God after we get exalted. Um, and then another step, it's like the ultimate highest step, the, the best thing you can do is to get sealed. And that means marrying someone and being sealed together for time and for all eternity. And that's, mm. that is the penultimate uh, step on the covenant path. Okay. Wow. Is there like a time frame involved with each step? Is it just kind of, well, like obviously not with repentance, that's going to be something that you actively practice as you go. And I'm just now kind of having like a connection between just all kind of spirit practice, you know, spiritual practices and what you just mentioned and repentance and still the understanding that we're imperfect and we'll still quote unquote sin or make mistakes. Um, but it's just, it just sounds kind of like accountability and I've never thought about it like that before. So yes, there is, there are, um, timelines and, uh, different ages when you, uh, can take these steps. If you are born into the church or if like, if your family joins before you turn the age of eight, at the age of eight, children are baptized into the church and they receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then, and then they continue, you know, to grow up in the church. And when you are getting ready to go on a mission, mm-hmm. uh, which most of most men who grow up in the church go on a mission, it's in the high nineties percentage wise. Wow. Um, or um, before you get married is when you would get endowed. Um, if you grew up in the church, that's kind of the expectation is that before one of those events, you would uh, get endowed. And then um, usually after people uh, come home from their missions, they get married pretty quickly. And, um, but when there are a couple of things, uh, you do have to be endowed before you can get sealed. And some people even do it. I know um, one girl in my church, she and I've been talking about the endowment ceremony simply because I'm about to go through it and she's providing some reassurance. She got endowed the night before she got sealed. So did this whole big thing the like the night before she got married to her husband. Wow. Um, and for adults who join the church or for people who jo- join the church after the age of eight, um, you have to, well, first you can't get endowed until you are 18. Okay. And at, at least, and for people who convert as adults, which is the category that I fall into, you have to wait um, one year, at least one year before from the 
date that you were confirmed to um to in order to uh receive your endowment and to go through that ceremony so you have to wait for at least a year um and there used to be some uh guidelines about uh if you got married outside the temple how long you had to wait before you could get sealed but um COVID has actually changed those practices a little bit so I, I know that may have been a little nebulous and kind of out of order but there are there are timelines for the timelines and expectations for um how you take these steps depending on your, your situation that totally makes sense thank you for that clarity I had no idea that it was you know like the more you talked about it I was like oh that sounds like that's really interesting um so back to identity how does the church feel about queer people? Okay, so where we're at today, um, the church recognizes uh, that people that there are people who are LGBT and that there are many members who are LGBT or who are in the LGBT community. And um, the current belief is that um, the attraction or the state of being LGBT is not a sin, but acting upon it is. And uh, I will say that, the ch- that while that for many people is um, not something that they um, share a belief in or something that they view or understand as restrictive, but you know, I do want people to, you know, maybe research if they want, or, you know, just think about the fact that over the years, the church has come a long, long way away from um, some of the beliefs that they've held uh, towards queer people before, such as encouraging conversion therapy, um, encouraging people to marry someone of the opposite sex uh, in order to, I guess, make them straight. I, I don't know quite what the language they were using for that and you know I'm oddly okay with it I I didn't expect to arrive to the point where I am now um where my beliefs um are similar to that don't don't quite align 100% perfectly but um so yeah that's the church's current stance on uh the LGBT community but to be blunt I expect that to change in my lifetime to become more liberal and open and accepting because uh to be quite frank i if they if they don't change their policy um soon i think they will see more people leaving the church and they will see it becoming more difficult to convert people Mm -hmm. but that is strictly my personal opinion and not based on anything that i've seen or heard coming from leadership gotcha who gets to make the decisions about when things like I feel I don't know who gets to make the decisions about those changes in acceptance or in those parameters so uh in order to answer that question I wanted to talk a little bit about um how the church is structured leadership wise okay so uh we have um who we refer to as our living prophet or our prophet, uh, Russell M. Nelson. So he's, so kind of imagine it like a, like a pyramid. Uh, he's at the top. Um, and I, and I just say that to mean that he 
is the head of the church um and that he like he he i guess is our figurehead you would say i don't particularly care for that term but that's what most people might understand it to be and then he has underneath him two counselors or advisors and then underneath them are the is a what we call a quorum or just a group of 12 apostles and so those men that i've just mentioned they are really the people who are involved in making decisions about uh doctrine and practices on a large scale that group is who would make that kind of decision wow and it's all men yes okay do you have any thoughts or feelings about that (laughs) (laughs) um i i definitely think in my lifetime again that the church will become that will become more inclusive of um women in uh positions of leadership um but to i i don't think a woman will ever be included in in that list of people that i just mentioned uh mm-hmm. I, I i don't i don't expect to for that to happen in my life uh, and one thing that is a big part of our beliefs is called the priesthood and it's a something that is given to men it like in a spiritual sense um so that that's a male only thing and in in order to hold certain positions in the church you have to have the priesthood so until we reach a point where women are allowed to hold the priesthood then we won't see that kind of change mm, that makes sense that totally makes sense so Queerness is something I have perceived in the time that I, cause we've known each other for a couple years at this point. Um, something that you feel a sense of pride in has your relationship with the concept of queerness or your own queer identity changed at all? It definitely has and not in the direction that most people might assume. Um, for me, um, one of my mottos or mantras, whatever you want to call it is, when you know the truth and you live the truth, it changes everything. Mm. And now that I, I, I can't pretend to have come up with that on my own. I didn't, but I've sort of adopted it. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, to me, now that I feel that I'm at a place where what I believe is correct, I believe that I'm uh, living the restored and the full gospel um, in my life. I hang on can I'm you repeat that because you started God. to cut out you said you believe that what you know is right you believe that you feel right and then it just kind of cut out so would you would okay. you mind repeating that for me yeah I don't mind um I've gotten to a place where because I, I believe that my faith lines up with what is correct and what is true um as I've sort of leaned into that part of my life. I have become more confident. I love myself. I've come to love myself much more than I ever have. And I have people around me in that, in my, that aspect of my life of in my faith who love me and support me for who I am. Um, and, and I think just because I'm now in a religious environment where my, I, who I am is acknowledged and nobody is asking me 
to change who I am. At least I don't feel that I'm asked being asked to change who I am. Someone in my, someone else in my shoes may feel differently. And, um, you know, I can't write other people's stories, but for me, being, being a member of the church has almost strengthened my identity as being gay. Um, just because I feel that I don't have to hide anymore. I don't feel afraid. Um, I feel that I can wear my rainbow face mask to church. Right. And, and I always get compliments and, and hugs and everything. I, I feel loved and supported and celebrated. So um, as I've leaned into this faith, I've it's become more of my identity and something that I'm more proud of. Interesting. You're right. That is definitely like this June <laughs> best pride month ever. Really? Okay. What happened in June? Oh, no, I mean, it, uh, I mean, nothing in particular, just that I'm at a point where I really am proud of myself and I'm proud of my community and I'm proud of the strides that we've made. And so I've really leaned into that beyond when I celebrated pride month in the past, it was from, and I, I don't mean this in a derogatory sense, but it was very much in the wearing feather boas and tassels and mm-hmm. dancing around in the streets. And, um, you know, and if, if someone wants to do that and that gives them freedom and power, like absolutely. Um, but for me, it's become more of a spiritual and conscious thing about connecting with my queer brothers and sisters and, and other, um, and people of other identities. So that, that's what I mean when I say that, uh, this was the best June, the best Pride month ever. Interesting. And what I'm hearing is that it was more of a spiritual place, like a place for you to be spiritually that contributed to why it was such a good experience for you. Absolutely. Yes. That makes sense. Was the decision to convert to Mormonism a difficult one? You did touch base on kind of growing up, um, Southern Baptist? Yes. Um, And how, you know, on one end of the spectrum, that was a toxic environment. You literally walked out of church. So seeing the difference that the Mormon church might've held or the different environment that that was in, I could see how there might be, well, I mean, not really. I mean, I guess the way that you described that because they were extremely homophobic, but you're feeling more accepted now. So do you feel like it was a difficult decision, whether it be because of other people's not understanding or the lack of exposure or community? Do you feel like, did you ever have a thought that your circle would get smaller through your conversion? It it was a difficult decision um, for several reasons, a lot of which you mentioned. I got to a point where I um, started to believe the teachings of the church were true. Mm-hmm. And I had come to the point where I personally had faith, but I, I was, I had a lot of concerns. I didn't know if I was going to be able to live up to um, the church's standards on behavior and not just regarding mm-hmm. sexuality. Ooh, say more. Um, uh, so uh, I feel like there are a few things that people, that most people know about Mormons. And mm-hmm. one of the first things that people talk about um, when you bring it up is uh, no tea and no coffee. So uh, giving up, giving up coffee has been so hard. Okay. This, <laughs> I'm about to tell you a true story. This actually happened. You know, 
if you're a member of Starbucks Rewards, you get a free birthday drink, right? Mm-hmm. So when I got my free birthday drink, I was like, okay, I will go by and get something. Like even if it's hot chocolate in the middle of June, you know, I'm going to get something because it's free. Mm-hmm. And um, so I ordered it ahead on the app. And when I pull up to the um, the speaker, I said, hey, I have a mobile order for, you know, blank. Mm-hmm. And the person working said, oh my goodness, we haven't seen you in forever. We thought maybe you moved or that you died. <laughs> and, and I, you know, when I was studying with missionaries um, before I actually converted to the church, I told them that if I stop drinking coffee, the local Starbucks will report me missing. And so it didn't quite go to that extreme, but it very much. They um, very much presence, noticed your my, presence. <laughs> yes, my presence was missed. Oh my gosh, Foul play was that suspected. is so funny. So no coffee, no tea. What else? Unless I mean, even if it, uh, oh, unless it's herbal. Tea, tea is, if it's herbal, you can drink it. Okay. So that's, uh, but no black tea or green leaf tea. Interesting. Why? Yeah. Um, it, so we believe that um, the prophet Joseph Smith, who was the first prophet of our church and uh, the first president of our church, I guess you would say, um, he, uh, received revelation from God about, um, uh, different things that people should, should not do. And it's really interesting because back in the 1800s, um, when he received this revelation, two things that we know to be dangerous now, alcohol and tobacco, um, people did not have a cultural perception of how, um, physically toxic those substances can be but that was revealed to um joseph smith uh through god and he created the he wrote the words of wisdom and in the words of wisdom it actually uh the original text mentions uh no hot drinks and the church's current interpretation of that is uh that he was most likely referring to coffee and tea but mm-hmm. like other hot drinks are allowed, like I can have hot chocolate and, uh, and other things like that. But um, so I guess really just one of my main concerns was whether or not I could live up to uh, standards and practices. And, you know, the thought of being celibate um, was something that gave me some, some pause, but I got to the point where I... I knew that I did, I did not think I could continue uh, living, having this truth and this knowledge inside of me and not um, publicly displaying that. Mm. And also I was concerned about um, people, um, in particular, my parents um, accepting or not accepting this simply because that's, this is very different from how I was raised. And I can't say that things have been perfect, but my parents, I think my parents, like many parents with their children, I think they love me and they want me to be happy. Mm-hmm. And although this is, has been kind of jarring for them, uh, I have seen a change in how they perceive the church and uh, they're, they're pretty supportive of me and, and they make that known. So I, um, so, it, so basically, uh, those are really the two things that kind of 
gave me some pause as far as uh conversion but um luckily i've it, particularly the um catastrophizing about how my parents would act uh it hasn't played out that way so i'm i'm pretty grateful for that yeah but you know like queer people i mean don't we all <laughs> don't we all <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah exactly we did the several we years ago hardwired trying to figure out like okay I'm just preparing for the worst because I already know how bad it can get so that totally makes sense right Emma, what happens if you fall in love it's not necessarily an inherently intentional act it's not always tied to anything physical I mean like we're humans just to feel is a natural part of that experience so how are you planning for the potential of that <laughs> So, um, plot twist, I have fallen in love uh-huh. and, um, I'm trying to be very careful about what I say because I, you know, my, um, you know, my, my cat, my catastrophic mind is like, someone will hear this and figure out who I am. And then if I say too many details, they'll figure out who this person is. But, but I will say that this person is also a member of the church and, mm-hmm. um, she is a cis hetero woman, but, uh, she's single and um so it's always so it's nice to have a friend that you can go out and do things with who doesn't have the you know the tie of a spouse and kids at home so I think that's how our friendship has developed to where it is and I realized that I was falling in love with her mm-hmm. and um I went to my bishop who like kind of holds the position that most people might think of as a preacher or a pastor except he doesn't do a lot of speaking. He does, it tends to more the spiritual care of the congregation. Okay. And uh, so I, you know, I went to him for advice and, and told him that, Hey, you know, I'm not only have I fallen in love, I've fallen in love with this particular person. And um, his advice was rather comforting. He said that, you know, you're a human being with feelings and emotions and you're going to develop um, connections to people uh, throughout your life and it's sort of the decision that you make following that it is kind of you know cross that bridge when you come to it so I think I'm at a point where you know I have developed feelings for someone but I also think <laughs> because I'm a Gemini I like to develop crushes on people that it's completely impossible for me to ever be with and even if I met this person outside and we both were not members, um, our lives are not compatible in a way that would result in us being in a really romantic relationship. Yeah. Because like I said, straight. she's, yeah, she's straight. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, I do think about what if I fall in love with someone who I really could spend a life with? And who I would be compatible with in terms of orientation and, and wanting a relationship. Um, and the really sad thing to say is that if I wanted to have a relationship with somebody, I would need to make the decision to leave the church. Mm-hmm. And um, I I don't want to think about how hard that would be because it was hard enough for me to... Um, I figure out that I was falling in love with my friend and um, she, and so it's not that I dread that day, but I'm sort of thinking that I'll, I'll deal with it when I come to it, but I don't, I don't see myself ever leaving the church because it's become so much of my support system. 
but uh, that's kind of where that stands at this moment. If I fell in love with somebody and actually wanted to have a relationship with them, that would require some changes on in my faith practice. Gotcha. That completely makes sense. Um, so another thing that I am familiar with uh, where Mormonism is concerned is missions. So like the two young women that came and knocked on my door and talked to me about that. I have seen the play and really, really enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> the Book of Mormon. And I know that like there's a lot of hyperbole. It's a lot of satire in that. But I know that mission work is something that is very central to um, Mormonism and the church in general. So how does that factor for you? How does that work for members? What does, what does a mission mean for somebody that may not have the language or the knowledge? Uh, you know, two men or two, two women, very young, uh, who come and knock on doors. And so that's, when you say someone served a mission or serving a mission, that's usually what they're referring to. Um, something that you do in your late teens or early twenties. Um, and uh, women serve for 18 months. If they choose to go on that type of mission, mm-hmm. uh, women serve for 18 months, uh, men serve for two years. And, uh, but also um, if a senior couple, um, you know, empty nesters, I guess, is a, you know, a better way to say it. Um, They could be called on two-year missions. And when that happens, they're usually called to foreign countries, uh, but not always. And um, sometimes single people can be called as missionaries beyond the stereotypical um, late teens, early 20s mission. Uh, But that doesn't happen a whole lot to my understanding. Mm -hmm. And I can understand why, because that would be a safety issue. Um, particularly in certain parts of the world. Um, so I'm kind of in that spot where I'm, I, I'm too old to go on a traditional mission. Mm-hmm. And even if I was young enough, I don't think that I, I, I don't think that I would ever serve any kind of mission that would require me to live in another place, even though it would be temporary, simply because uh, to be frank, I don't want to be away from my psychiatrist for that long. Oh yeah. That would be dangerous. That would be dangerous. Oh yeah. So, um, but also there are some ways, some positions in the church that you can have where you can help uh, missionaries who are stationed in your area um, and sort of be, um, be involved and helpful with their mission work and not have to uh, move to a different part of the country. So that is something that may come up for me later. Um, and that that would be something I would be willing to do um, because, uh, you know, my faith is so important to me and I want to share it with other people. Um, so something like that I would be able to do, but um, may or may not actually do a mission. And we'll, we'll see. Okay. It sounds like the involvement in the church is... I don't know. Like I think about, I don't like, I'm not a religious person. I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not a religious person. I don't enjoy church. I don't enjoy organized religion. It's just not something that works very well for me. Um, So I always find it to be so interesting when people 
spend so much time and they'll be like, oh, well, we're in the music ministry and we go to service on Wednesdays and Sundays. And then we also do Bible study on this day. And then we have another church centered activity. What is that balance of time? Like, what is the commitment of time? Like to the church, like for a quote unquote, typical member. Uh, so I joke that I, I joke, but not in a, but also in a serious way that, um, if, if you really want to be, um, a devout Mormon, it's, um, at least a part-time close to a full-time job. So, um, for me, um, I, my time spent in, um, in regards to my faith, you know, I do personal scripture study every day. Um, the church issues every year, um, kind of a, uh, scripture study guide for members to, um, so that we're all, you know, we're all reading, you know, such and such passage on such and such day. Um, so I, I have that as well. Um, sometimes I participate in online Bible studies with a, um, another Christian ministry, not connected to the church. And so, so I say, oh, let's say I have my personal scripture studies. Um, I also have two of what is called a calling um, basically we're a church of volunteer assignments. Um, no position in the church is paid, uh, to my understanding, even at the top. I, I know that they have their travel expenses compensated, but nobody receives a salary to my knowledge. Uh, you know, if there's anyone listening, feel free to correct me on that. But, um, certainly at the level that I'm at, um, the two things that I do, um, that I'm involved in in church. Um, preparing for them takes time out of my day, uh, well, out of my week, you know, leading up to Sunday. And um, also something that takes up a fair amount of my time um, with regards to my faith. And people, it, it's one of those things you can, you can be involved to whatever extent you want, mm -hmm. um, particularly with uh, family history or temple work. So, um, doing genealogy, which is something that's very important, um, getting temple work done for ancestors. Um, so depending on what extent you want to take it to, um, you, it, it, it takes up a lot of time, but, um, you know, more about, you know, um, kind of about me and my personal circumstances mm -hmm. when it comes to, um, availability and work and things like that. So for me, it gives me a sense of purpose, yes. but I can certainly see how it would be difficult for people who are not in my situation to balance, uh, uh, you know, work and family obligations with church obligations as well. Totally makes sense. Okay. Now my little ears just perked up genealogy and do you said temple work for ancestors? Yes. So that means, um, so going back to a little bit of what I said about what happens after we die, um, we believe that uh, you can do the ordinances of baptism, confirmation, um, initiatory endowment, and sealing. So all these like steps along the covenant path, they can be done for people who did not do that while they are living. Um, and we do believe that they have the choice to accept whether or not these ordinances. So nothing is being forced on anyone. Um, but there's a lot of paperwork that you have to do and you have a lot of finding records to just so that people aren't like making up people to just 
you know, say, oh, well, I, you know, I've done this much temple work. And also so that people are not having temple work done for them by people who are not close family members. I feel like I'm going to fall down a rabbit hole of temple work. Like I'm, it, it just sounds fascinating, like doing ancestral work for trying to help people who have passed but not crossed over is what it sounds like to be able to right. accept that like I am so interested in that I'm so excited um that is really cool so Emma what is your community like now what do your friendships look like what do you do for fun how was your relationship with the other queer people in your life changed well <laughs> my relationship with the queer community in my area has never been particularly strong simply because I mean there are people in my area who are queer or you know may identify as something other than straight um, but there isn't really a firm community at least yeah. that I've seen um, you know occasionally we've had pride parades but it's never um, uh, particularly a big thing and, and I think some people are trying to change that um, there I've seen some things on Instagram about a you know pride kind of a pride organization kind of blossoming in my community but I don't really feel like my relationship with the queer community has changed simply because um like as far as actually in person I didn't really have one to begin with and I've I have been able to maintain the queer friendships that I have you know with people over the internet and that I've met in other ways Mm -hmm. simply because most people even if they don't agree with what I've done, um, I think a lot of people fall into the category of this obviously makes you happy. Yes. Um, I, I actually <laughs> had a, um, a uh, former partner uh, tell me that I'm mu- a much better Mormon than I ever was a lesbian. Oh. And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know how to take that. Um, and, but, but she was, she was saying it from a good place, but um, oh yeah. and but uh now that I'm so involved in church uh, that's all where a lot of where my friendships come from mm-hmm. but those friendships are um different and I think people outside the church experience this as well um the people who are single um and single and don't have kids it's hard to develop um friendships that where you actually see the other person with people who are married and have children simple because oh, sure. they have things taking up their time that we don't. And, um, and they're not things because, in common. Yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, because a lot of people in those church are married and have kids, it's been hard to, um, you know, you talk to people at church, you text, you call, you FaceTime, but it's hard to actually have in-person uh, meetings, even, you know, even if COVID restrictions and, and, and best practices, even if that was not a factor, just it, it, it's hard to actually spend time with people. Um, but I do still feel a, um, a sense of love and support. Um, so that's really where I'm at right now as far as community. Okay. No coffee dates for you. So what are, what are you doing instead? Are you, is it just ice cream and froyo now? Like <laughs> what are we doing um so uh there's more <laughs> right there's um there's more going out to eat than I have previously done even um before COVID 
Um, there's so there's some going out to eat and um, uh, I've, I've, I've started to go to coffee shops, but not get any coffee or tea, which very limits what you can get there. Right. But it's, you know, coffee shops are just a good neutral place to, uh, to spend time with people. Um, so, um, and just hanging out, watching movies, just spending time together. Um, so yeah, no coffee dates. I love that. So, I mean, like we've gone through all of our prepared questions that we've done. Is there anything else that you want people to know or common questions that you get that we haven't addressed yet? Um, So I think something that I want to address is um, some really negative things that are part of church history, Um, uh, starting with Joseph Smith, uh, people um, can be particularly negative about him um, because he did have multiple wives. That's not a secret. That's not something the church is trying to hide. Mm -hmm. Um, So he was... um, he had um, some type of uh, romantic or like marital relationship with people beyond his first wife, um, Emma, which is why I chose uh, this particular name uh, Mm -hmm. because his first wife's name was Emma. Mm -hmm. And uh, also um, the church's history as far as race and members has been uh, particularly um, not has it's 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 been gross i don't Mm. know i don't know another more eloquent way to say that um brigham young who was the uh second prophet and president of the of the church so this is all happening back in the 1800s said that he would rather give the priesthood to a mule than to Mm -hmm. a black person Mm -hmm. and for a long time black members weren't allowed to be actually baptized into the church and um, black men were not allowed to hold the priesthood, um, and I believe those changes were sh- were made kind of uh, in the eighties, seventies, eighties. I'm not exactly sure on dates as far as when those policies uh, changed, but I do want to acknowledge that that's part of the church's history. And um, so I, I I can imagine that for people who um, were excluded because of those policies, or even people who even though the policies are not in place anymore are still hurt by the fact that, that that is a part of the church's history. Um, so, you know, I want to acknowledge that and I want to acknowledge people's pain and confusion and um, hurt over those topics. Um, so that, you know, that's something that I want, you know, I, that I want people to be aware of, you know, um, and also kind of losing my train of thought. Um, uh, I think there are some people out there who still believe that uh, Mormons marry, uh, men, men can marry multiple wives. And um, there are off branches of the church that um, you're more fundamentalist factions that uh, still practice that, but it's not the main mainstream uh, Mormon church that does that and uh so that's that's really the things that I wanted to clarify as far as what people may or may not know
I'm sorry, my computer was fully about to die. <sighs> that was awesome. How about, are there a lot of Black members in the church that you attend now? Uh, no, there are a few, but it's not, um, it, it, it's not, it's, they're not a sizable portion of the congregation, but I feel that um, in the South in particular, um, as far as any church in the South, um, churches in the South are still pretty uh, segregated. segregated. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't think that's a, in, at least in our part of the country, I don't think that's a particularly, um, I don't, I don't think that's an issue that's exclusive to Mormon churches, but I can't speak for what congregations look like in other parts of the country. Right. That's so interesting. Um, another thing I was very curious about biggest pro and the greatest con of converting to Mormonism. Okay. Um, biggest pro besides just, um, the fact that I'm, that I, I believe that, um, I'm in the tr God's true and restored church and that I'm, I'm living the full gospel. Besides that, um, I would say the biggest pro is just the sense of community that I feel, um, the people who love me and support me and who, um, cherish me and want me to be a part of their life. Um, to me, the sense of community that I've gained has been such a good, um, it's been really good for my mental and emotional health. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I don't know how COVID Jennifer would be without um, this love and support and uh, biggest con. It's not even the celibacy thing. It's just no coffee. Mm -hmm. Tiffany, I miss coffee so much. <laughs> oh man. And I'm just sitting here. I'm just like, what is the closest thing to coffee that is not coffee? that so we some, could make. So there are a couple of different um, coffee substitutes that people um, were recommending to me as I was in the process of converting and then um, sort of in my early days of being in the church. Um, they're, and it, they're all kind of the same thing, but there's different names for them. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll hear people talk about Postum or Caffrey or Pero, and there are some other... Um, I think, and I, I think this is really a keto thing, but apparently there's such a thing as mushroom coffee, which I, 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 I never, Tiffany, I could never do that. I'm sorry. Um, but I, but the three things that I mentioned, uh, they're mostly, uh, a mixture of, uh, barley and, uh, grain and some other stuff. And it looks like ground up coffee. And if you brew it, the, I mean, you can kind of trick yourself. Actually, you really can't. It doesn't taste like coffee. No, but okay. Like I'm thinking like root beer. Right. And okay. I have had non-alcoholic okay. beer. Okay. So that I've had non-alcoholic beer. Like, since I, I wonder yeah. if I'll be able to figure some things out and be like, Emma, I've done it. Like, look, taste it. I have <laughs> tried this recipe. <laughs> I'm like, so oh, I've okay, no coffee challenge accepted. Yeah, I've uh, I've only seen this via Instagram. I it, it's out in Utah, so I obviously have not visited this place. But there's something. There's a business called Latter Day Saint Cafe, 
and they it's a coffee shop but no coffee obviously but they make like oh. americanos and lattes and uh whipped coffee and they so they make all these different coffee drinks um without actually using coffee and that to me that's just the perfect that's just the perfect solution to uh my yeah. problem but uh there in utah i'm here so i just do what i can as far as um i'm particular i mostly use paro mm-hmm. um simply because it's cheaper and it comes in these big um big containers that you can order off of amazon but uh yeah people will recommend coffee substitutes but what was particularly funny to me was you know i'm, I'm having this issue of uh what can i use to replace coffee and uh, these people in the church are so sweet and kind and are, are giving me these suggestions and saying, oh, it tastes exactly like coffee. You won't know the difference. And they've never <laughs> had coffee a day in their lives. So I'm like, you literally have no clue what you were talking about. But they're trying to be so sweet and kind. But no. That reminds me of this meme that I recently came across. If I downloaded it, I will text it to you. But it was like a drawing of a horse and it was like artist, like, yes, I have seen a horse, but it is various, like, it's very obviously like very anthropomorphic, like it looks like a man's face, but like they just kind of elongated human facial features onto like a horse. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. But that kind of is what that evokes for me thinking about Mormon people who have never had coffee, kind of be like, you never know the difference. It's like, how do you know if you don't know what to compare? (laughs) (laughs) yes I have seen a horse (laughs) oh that's so sweet oh my gosh well honeybees that brings us to the end of this episode of the sweetest honey podcast please connect with us on social you can follow us on instagram at sweetesthoney.love that is also our website sweetesthoney.love you can email us at info at sweetesthoney.love if you would like send us a voicemail send us a text message to 205-202-0511 Oh, Emma, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited. If anybody wants to continue the conversation, if there are more Mormons out there, if there are Southern Mormons, if you're Black Mormons, if you're thinking about converting to Mormonism, please email info at sweetesthoney.love. I will get you in touch with Emma and y'all can get together. Maybe that's something that you could, you know what I'm saying? Like incorporate into your mission work or something like that. But I know your heart and I know that connection is so integral to who you are and that you genuinely enjoy sitting down and talking about people. Emma can talk to you about everything under the sun. You are an excellent mental sparring partner. You enjoy research and just connection. So if anything about this speaks to you, if you're feeling like, wow, like I really feel connected to that person, please reach out. I will broker this relationship for you and facilitate that connection for you. Yes, absolutely. I'm happy to talk to anybody. Yeah. All right, my loves. And that concludes this episode. We will see you next time. Bye.